Again, thank you for being here. Welcome to our guests that are here today. And um, there is a children's church for um, uh, kids that want to go to children's church. Um, and you're welcome to go with my wife. And uh, she'll teach you as well as you're taught here by, by me. Probably better, in fact. So today I want to talk about a topic that if you've been in a church at all, you've heard about this topic. And uh, so I've titled this message today, um, The Imminent Rapture. The Imminent Rapture. And uh, this, I believe, and I think I can say this with, good, with, with, with really confidence, that this is the next big event that is biblically prophesied. And it's called The Imminence of the rapture, the rapture of the church. Now, we've been talking quite often on our Wednesday night topics about end-time events over the past couple of years. That's just something I'm really interested in. And we've done a lot of studies with different pastors and different leaders. Jimmy Evans was one of them that we've listened to quite often. But there's just a host of really good end-time um, teachers that have, are very well-studied, and um, so the end times is something that I believe that we're living in. I truly believe that we're, we're living in the end of the end. And I think it's important that churches need to start talking about it. We need to start making people aware of what's going to happen. So my purpose today is to speak with good reason and encouragement to you today. I'm not here to do anything other than just give good information. Here's, the, here's number one fact. The rapture is going to happen. It's going to happen, even though it's been spoken about for years. And if you've been in a church like I have, I've been hearing about it for 60 of my 65 years that I can remember. Um, and it hasn't happened yet. So for some people, they say, well, stop talking about it because we're getting tired of talking about it. But let me just tell you that the rapture is a promised event in Scripture, and it will happen. Without question, the rapture of the church is going to happen, and we're going to talk about this. Now, this is not a fearful topic. I'm not saying this to make anyone afraid. If you have a good relationship with the Lord, then this is an exciting topic. However, if you don't have a good relationship with the Lord, then this is an opportunity to make one right, because this can be a fearful topic for those that aren't right with the Lord, because this event is going to happen, and it's going to happen in God's timing. So for that reason, play close, play, pay close attention throughout this message. And even if you've heard about the rapture before, let's see if we can lig up some, understand some new things about it. Now, some people that are critical of the rapture say, well, wait, the rapture isn't in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. And I would say, yes, you're correct. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But the implication of what the rapture is, is clearly taught in Scripture. And that's what we're going to be understanding today about it. Where does this word rapture come from? The word rapture comes from a Latin word called raptu. And it means to be caught away or to be caught up. There's a Latin term or there's a Greek word equivalent to this Latin word called harpazo. And this is the word that Paul uses when he talks in the book of Thessalonians when he's writing that book to the church of Thessalonica and it's also translated caught up so those two terms bring up the word rapture and we use rapture rather than harpazo <laughs> uh, or uh, 
or raptu, but that's where the word rapture comes from. So what we're going to do is I'm, we're going to describe what this is, and then we're going to come back and we're going to uh, give good supporting detail about it. So let me just describe to you what is going to happen. At an exact time that no one knows, Jesus is going to appear in the clouds with a shout and a loud trumpet blast. He will call the church, those that are saved in the church, to meet him in the clouds. But Jesus will not touch down at this point. He will not touch earth. Earth. He will stay in the clouds. And the believers, dead and alive, will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air and then will be taken to heaven to be with him at that point. Now, this is really important that we understand this point, that this will be a silent rapture. The world will not hear the shout. They will not hear the trumpet. It'll be a quiet rapture to the, to the world. Opposed to Jesus' second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation, at that time, the whole world will see him. There's two, there's really the, the, com- the return of Christ is really in two steps, two phases. The rapture of the church, Jesus comes in the air, he calls the church, those dead and alive, to meet him in the air, and then he takes him to heaven. And then at the end of a seven-year tribulation period, Jesus returns to earth, and this time he touches down on the Mount of Olives. The whole world sees him, and he makes things right. He destroys the Antichrist and the false beast, and he throws Satan into the bottomless pit at this time, but then we begin the thousand-year millennial reign. But the rapture, the world will not know it. This is a quiet event. And this is why I'm going to give you something at the very end that is very important that I want you to, that you'll take home with you. And we'll talk about that at the end. But I want to turn first now to, um, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read into chapter 5. But let me just give you the background of what's going on here. Paul, Paul has established this church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And this is a thriving seaport city. It's a large city, about 200,000 people among them. And it's a strong Jewish community. And shortly after Paul established the church there, he was forced to leave because of some strong opposition from some jealous Jews that were in the area. And so he was, they forced Paul out before Paul could really spend time teaching uh, and doing the good things that he should have been doing with that young church. So he had to go and, um, because of that. And so as a result of that, some of the people in Thessalonica were confused when there was a talk about the rapture and what all that means. So Paul writes two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, to educate this young church. And a major theme in this letter is Christ's return to take away his faithful followers to heaven and to spare those in the church from the coming wrath that would happen in a tribulation time. God's wrath is his justified anger and judgment on a world that has rejected him. And that's what the seven-year tribulation is about. But since some of those in the church of Thessalonica, they were, they were confused because they were concerned because they had some people in their church that had died. They were believers. And they didn't know what was going to happen to those people that have died prior to the rapture. Let me, under, let me just stop and say this. They all expected the return of Jesus at any time. So if you think this is new, it's not. 
the early church felt Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. This is an expectation that all Christians should live with, the fact that Jesus could come back at any time. That's the imminency, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we should have an expectation that Jesus is coming back. They had it then, and they were concerned because they didn't know what happened to their fathers and mothers and those that passed on before them and what was going to happen to them when Jesus came back. So Paul writes this letter to explain to them. And we're going to understand this a little bit more today that the reality is Paul is wanting to comfort the people with education. And we're going to understand that no matter if anyone, if everyone lives or doesn't live to see the rapture, if they die prior to that time, it really doesn't matter because eternity and heaven or hell is at stake, no matter when you die or if you see the rapture. That's why living with an expectation is key because we all may not live to see the rapture, but we're all going to die. The old saying is, if you live long enough, you're going to die. Think about that one. That'll turn your, that'll make you spin a little bit. If you live long enough, you're going to die. So you better live with some expectation because we may or may not see the rapture. But now let's talk about, let's go on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and let's read Paul's discussion with his church. We're going to begin at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve the people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when, he, when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet him, the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, I recognize that when this was written, there were no chapters and verses given. So let's just go right into chapter 5 and see this is a continuation. So chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul continues and he says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear friends and brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed, Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. 
Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live forever with him. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Let's pray. Father, these are some really interesting words. And there's a good study here throughout your word that talks about the times that we're living in. So I pray, God, that we are able to discern these wisely and correctly. God, open our hearts and minds to receive what you would have us to receive. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope you can see that Paul is saying these words not to bring fear, but he's trying to encourage and build up the readers in the church. And he wanted to do it not just for that church, but this is intended for us as well today. We are to be built up and encouraged in our faith. So we can see here the urgency and and yet the peace in which Paul speaks. He's urgent in that Paul believes that the imminent return of Jesus can happen at any time. That's the urgency of his message. But let's talk about the word imminent. What does imminent mean? Imminent means that something is about to happen. It's close in time. Something's about to occur. occur. Without any other warning, it's just going to happen. That's what imminent means. <laughs> I found this, this really interesting um, description or example of what, what imminent means on the vocabulary.com website. And I think, you'll get a, I think this will give you a little bit of understanding. It says, if you light a firecracker and then stick it down your pants... <laughs> A very bad situation is imminent. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. But I think we've all played with firecrackers enough to know that when you light that fuse, it's just a matter of time, and when that fuse, that fire hits that gunpowder, something's going to happen. And if it's in your pants, watch out. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't lit one off in their fingers? Anybody not lit one off in their fingers? I've done it. And, and you look and see, are my fingers still there? Man, I'm telling you, it's not not a fun thing to happen. But that's an example of what it means about the rapture. It's imminent. We don't know how long that fuse has been lit. And we don't know how long that fuse is. But But God has lit the fuse. And only he knows how long it is before he blows the trumpet. And when it happens, it's going to happen quick, just like that firecracker. There's no warning. When it goes off, you feel it. You hear it. And then you jump. So Paul is giving us, the true church, some good warning, some good instruction on how we anticipate and expect what's going to happen. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to go back through these verses and and dig through these a little bit more. Verse 13 and 14, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So clearly, there are things that God wants us to know about so that we're not ignorant and we're not surprised and we're not in the dark. You see, being educated gives hope and peace and assurance. Being educated is really important to everything about your life. 
Why, you, why do you believe what you believe? Do you know why? Are you educated? Do you know why you're convicted in some areas and not convicted in other areas? See, that's so important that we understand as much as we can. Now, we can't understand it all, but we can understand as much as we can. And with that, God gives us hope and drives out fear. That's why we have no reason to fear what God has in store for us today. We're going to get educated today and understand that if we have a right relationship with the Lord, there is no fear in this topic. Paul assures his readers not to worry about the loved ones that had passed prior to the rapture, that Jesus is going to take care of them and they will be rejoined with those that are alive when the rapture of the church happens. Verses 15 and 18 says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not, when, will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. In other words, God says, God gives us the process, the, the timeline of what's going to happen. And so I want to step through that now. That the first thing that happens is that Jesus will come from heaven with the shout of the angel and a trumpet call of God. That's what the Bible says. There will be a, a great announcement, but only for the believers to hear. Jesus, again, I say, well, he remains in the air. He does not come to earth. He stays in the clouds. And he calls the church. Those that have died in Christ will rise first, meaning that they will, those that were saved and died and their spirits are already in heaven, their physical bodies are still on earth someplace. They may be in a cemetery. They may be cremated. They may be lost at sea. They may be destroyed some way. We don't know. But God has a way. If God can create the body out of dust, God can recreate the body in a supernatural form. And that's what's going to happen is that the spirits from heaven are going to come down and join with the, with the bodies from earth, and they're going to change, change from a physical body into a supernatural body, the same kind of body that Jesus had on his resurrection. That's what we're going to have. And then those that are still alive, that we will not die, but we will be changed instantly from our earthly decaying bodies into heavenly supernatural bodies, and then we will follow those that have already died and had risen, risen from the grave. And we will, have, we will follow them and we will meet Jesus in the air. And together, we will all be changed and we'll be with Jesus instantly to go to heaven with Jesus for the next seven years. And we'll be with the Lord forever. And this is the beginning of eternity face-to-face with Jesus. And why does Paul say that? To encourage us. He doesn't say it to make us afraid. He, he says this to encourage us, to, to give us wisdom. And now Paul gives the same information in a little different format to the church in Corinth about this instantaneous and supernatural body translation, transformation that's going to happen. And he, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So turn your Bibles to chap, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 or read it here, beginning at verse 50. Paul says, what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trump is blown. 
For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and those who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that, isn't that exciting to think about this? And listen, this is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. What does the twinkling of an eye mean? It means it is so fast it can't be measured. It is so quick. There's, there's going to be no opportunity to think about it because it's going to happen instantly. It's going to be like that firecracker. It's going to go off that fast, and everything happens that quickly. So these two events that I've just read are the same, the same events. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. You know, I think about this quite a bit. I grew up in the church. And I've heard about this for all my life. And uh, there was a time, I'll be honest, that it scared me. Because I wasn't really living for the Lord. And I was always nervous. I was always on edge. One foot in the world, one foot in church. Anybody else like that with me here? Am I the only one? Pam, anybody else? Yeah, I think, I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we were studied in it at all, I think this was a topic that always made us nervous. When the preacher was going to talk about the rapture, we always got nervous. Yeah, rightly so. So yeah, I'm not trying to create fear, but I'm certainly trying to educate and make us all aware of the imminence of what's about to happen. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And Paul gives some further instructions on, on what's going to happen because God is in control of all this. God is the one that's putting this together. And we don't have to be afraid because things aren't spinning out of control. They're actually spinning in control. And this is the way God's going to let it happen. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We've already read this. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for we know, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them. The firecracker is going to lit on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. So when the rapture occurs, when the rapture occurs, is one of the most debated topics in Christian circles. And it seems that Paul is anticipating this. Because for the unbelieving church, this happens unknowingly as when a thief comes in and breaks into someone's home. If you're warned that the thief is coming, you'll be prepared. But thieves don't give you a pre warning. <laughs> uh, our house was broken into when we were living in Royal Oak. Uh, years ago. We weren't home, thank goodness. But when we got home and we saw that the door had been kicked in and our, our neighbor actually called the police, they saw the next morning. It's kind of a weird feeling. You walk into your house that's been vandalized and uh, knowing that someone has been in your house going through all of your clothes in your closet looking for money, looking for stuff, it's just kind of a weird feeling. If we would have known that was going to happen, we probably would have done something differently. But the fact of the matter is it happens. And I think that one of the things that is the most concerning about it 
is that that's the kind of the way that we are in the world right now. Uh, I'm going to read a passage in Matthew here in a minute. But we are so busy going about our lives thinking that things are always going to be the same. And maybe we're getting a little bit of a wake-up call in America right now because things aren't the same. There are some things changing in our, in our structure, in our republic, that just are not good. And so maybe there's a wake-up call to some of us that it's not always going to be. Just because we've been free for 250 years doesn't mean we're going to have freedoms for the next 10 years. We don't know. Something's changing. But yet, when the rapture happens, there's going to be a life going on as normal and that people are going to be missing the signs. They're going to be missing the warnings that Jesus is giving us. This is what Jesus described to his disciples back in Matthew chapter 24 because his disciples asked, what will be the day like and when will this this happen? The end times. And this is Jesus' answer. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before, this is the key word, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So he's setting the stage. As in the days of Noah, people were just going about life. Now, Noah was out building the, building the ark over, for 100 years. He was out building this, this ark and recognized that there was no lakes. <laughs> there was no rain at that time. They had never experienced water coming out of the clouds. And yet here's this crazy man out there building this big boat. And you know something about Noah that I find so interesting? He wasn't just a boat builder. He was an evangelist. He preached while he was building. And you know that he preached for 100 years and didn't have one convert? How discouraging would that be? Not one person said, Noah, I think you're right. Not one person changed their life. Everyone went on as in the days, like everything was going to happen normally, up until the day that God closed the door. You, gotta, you just got to wonder, what were they thinking when the animals started to come? When all these animals started to come and getting on this boat, what were the people thinking? I, I just, it's amazing. It'd be interesting to go put your mind back there. But yet none of them changed their mind until the day God shut the door and the rain started. They had never seen rain before. All of a sudden, water's coming out of the sky. And the earths open up and floods start coming from the, from the earth and rain falling and the, rains, the water starts to rise. And now they're banging on the door, Noah, let us in, Noah, let us in. And Noah couldn't. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't because God's the one that shut the door. No man can open what God shuts. And that's what it's going to be like on the rapture. It's going to happen. People aren't going to be aware of it. All of a sudden it's, it happens. He says in verse 40, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding, one with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, he says, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Understand, I like that. He he says, understand that you will not not know the day that your Lord is coming. Who's he talking to? 
He's talking to believers. My Lord, your Lord. Why is he our Lord? Because we made him our Savior first. You can't be Lord until you, he makes you, until you make him your Savior. He becomes our Savior and then our Lord. I love that. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would, not, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Boy, this reminds me of the church so much today. We just don't know. We just, we've heard it too much sometimes. but I really believe that God is wanting us to know the season. We can't know the day nor the hour, but clearly we can know the season. And, you know, there's, I don't have time to go into all that. There's so much other prophecy that's already been fulfilled that tells us that we are in the season. Beginning in 1948, when Israel became a nation, and then 1967 with that six-day war, and all the other things that have been happening up in this time, clearly we are in the season of the Lord's return. I don't know about you, but that gives me some goosebumps. I get excited about that. I'm fearful for those that aren't listening. I'm concerned for those that aren't paying attention. But yet I'm excited because the Lord is coming to take us home. And that's going to be a grand day. It's going to be an exciting day. Let's return to Thessalonians chapter 5. It says that when everyone is talking about peace and safety, everything is peaceful, then disaster will fall. And there will be no escape. The whole world will see this, will be in this event. The whole world will be taken by surprise. I mean, can you just imagine what it's going to be like when all of a sudden there's just a pile of clothes sitting next to you. Or there's a driverless car or an airplane or a train, and you've heard the stories. You've seen the movies, maybe. But that's reality, folks. That's what it's going to be like. So pay attention. Because Paul has some things here that if we hear him correctly, we can be spared and we can be rescued. We don't have to go through this. But he says that the world will be in the dark, but we are not. The world will be in the dark. He says that we won't be surprised. We won't be surprised because we aren't living in darkness as the unbelieving world is, or even as the sleeping church is, because I believe the church is sleepy. I don't think we're speaking about this enough. I don't think we're really talking about the things of this world that really matter enough. I think we're talking about too many issues, social justice issues, which are important. I get that. But these things are, those things aren't eternal. The rapture is talking about eternal things. And we need to speak about the things that really are going to make a difference in people's lives, not just while they're living in this earth, but more importantly, what's going to happen when they're not in this earth. Notice that Paul is not saying that we will know when the rapture occurs. But what he is saying is that it's going to happen. So our focus, 
our focus is not about knowing when, it's just knowing that it's going to happen and that we shouldn't be surprised or unprepared when it does happen. That's why we're talking about this, that, that we are instructed in his word to be on guard and not asleep. And I think this can refer, be referred very much so to the church today because I think that many of us have heard about the rapture a long time and because it hasn't happened, it's not going to happen. I remember my grandparents talking about it, and you probably can remember yours as well. But clearly, we're not to be sleepy here. We're to be pain. We're to stay alert and stay clear-headed according to Scripture. That's what it keeps telling us. Those that love evil love darkness, right? Those that love evil love darkness. They, they love it because their deeds are hidden. At least they think they're hidden. They think they can get away with things while they're living in the dark because their deeds aren't exposed. But those that love righteousness, those that love righteousness, listen, love the light. Why does that? Because those that love righteousness have nothing to hide. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That means they're forgiven. It means that they deal with their sin appropriately, that it's brought into the light and they deal with it and they're forgiven. And when we look at it that way, this helps us stay clear-headed. How do we stay alert? How do we stay clear-headed? By living in the light, by not trying to think you're going to cover up or get away with something. That's foolishness. That's what the enemy does. That's deception. But he says, stay alert. Be clear-headed. Some translations say self-controlled. Now, what does self-controlled mean? The Greek word here is nepho, and it has two meanings. Literally, one meaning is that we are to um, it refers to a state of abstinence from, from alcohol and from wine and to be unaffected by alcohol. In other words, don't, be, don't let your mind get clouded up with alcoholic things because it's a changer. I know that. It does. It changes the way we think. And I know there's a big debate right now in Christian circles about alcohol. Do we drink or not drink? Well, that's not the point of this message today. But the point is, don't be affected by it. Don't let it cloud your thinking. I mean, and it also means to be alert and to be aware. And it means that we are spiritually, that we're to be disciplined in every aspect of our life so as we don't get caught up in the worldly affairs and distractions that would result in unfaithfulness and that we would be prepared, unprepared for Christ's return. And you can see here that the way that Paul brings this exhortation of being self-controlled and alert, he, he contrasts it to what's happening in the world today. He said, but those in darkness... They get drunk in darkness. They sleep in darkness. This is the time when drinkers get drunk at night in darkness, unless you're an alcoholic and, you know, he's drunk all the time. I don't know. There's a few of those people too. <laughs> Maybe we know some. But really what he's talking about is it's the intoxication of the worldly affairs that would either wear us out, that we're chasing after the world so much. We're spending all of our energies trying to gain things in this world we're being like the days of the people in the days of Noah. They're eating and drinking and giving in marriage and so forth. We're so busy worrying about our daily events that we have this party-hardy mentality that says live for life all you can get. Get it all you can because you only go around once. All that at the expense of living holy and righteous lives. And I'm saying, this is what I'm saying. My point is this. If, I, if you really want to have a healthy and a joyful life, then the world can't offer it. The only way you're really, truly going to enjoy life is to be a follower of Christ, and a, I mean a committed follower of Christ, where you're in with both feet. Jump in with both feet. Get yourself fully immersed. 
in the scripture, fully immersed in living for Christ, that's where fullness comes from. Then you have no fear. The world offers a version of it, but it's a deceptive version because it has no fear in the moment. But as soon as the high is gone, what are you doing? You're chasing the next one. And then probably suffering the hangover. And that's just what the world offers. That's all it can offer. So Paul's saying that we are to live a life of obedience and holiness, which is an open book before God. Again, listen, I can't put the pressure on for perfection because nobody is, myself included. But I can be forgiven, and you can be forgiven. And that brings holiness, and that brings righteousness. And when I have that, then I'm prepared for what's coming next. So as we live in this prepared state... Paul goes on and he says, but let those who live in the light be clear-headed and now you're protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet and the confidence of our salvation. That confidence of salvation gives us peace. It gives us hope. It gives us assurance. And it takes away fear. Amen? So we do all this with the anticipation knowing that God is not going to pour out his wrath on the church. This is another point that people debate. Is the rapture going to happen before or after the tribulation? Is it going to be a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? What's the When is it? Well, I'm just going to say this. The Bible says in verse 9 through 11, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, or not to pour out his wrath. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus is coming for the bride. Now, logically, does it make sense that he would punish the bride before he marries her? Does it make sense? I don't think so. I have children, and I didn't punish their spouses <laughs> before they got. I'd like to now, maybe, but no, I'm only kidding. I'm only, I know, I'm only kidding. But here, I, I think it's clear that we're here and we can use this as an opportunity to, to have faith and to encourage each other. I mean, the, if you read this verse, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Paul, verse 11, so encourage each other and build each other up. See, if I was going to tell you that you're going to go through a seven-year tribulation and you're going to have to go through all the heartache and the, and the severe punishment of God's anger and wrath, be encouraged. I don't think so. I'm encouraged because we don't have to go through God's wrath. That's what the rapture is about. There's so much more we can talk about we don't have time. So what do we do? Jackie, would you come, please? So what do we do with this information? You see, we need to do everything with an expectation that Christ will return at any time. I don't know when. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years. I don't know. But I know he's coming. I know he's coming. I know it's coming. I know factually it's coming. So now I want to be prepared, and I want to make others aware and prepared. And, and actually, we have a lot of work to do. Some people say, well, if Christ is coming, then, you know, put on your tinfoil hat and go sit on a mountain and wait. No, that's not biblical. 
No, if you really believe he's coming, don't you want to spread the news? Don't you want to share with others? Don't you want your family to know that they could escape the wrath of God like, like we can? Why would we not want to share this word? <clears throat> Do you ever wonder why God's waiting so long? Why is God waiting so long? Why? Well, I, I believe, I believe he's patient. I believe that God is patiently waiting for as many as would to accept him, accept Jesus, and to escape the wrath that is to come, but more than just to escape the wrath, but to enjoy the presence of God in heaven, to enjoy his presence, to, be, to enjoy being wed to Christ, to enjoy that. So here's the most important question I can leave you with today. Are we living our lives expecting Jesus' imminent return? Are you ready for that? Are you living expecting that? You see, maybe you're still not convinced and concerned that being ready for the rapture is out of all that important because maybe you don't believe in it. I don't know where you're at. But let me ask this question then. Let me just hit right to the heart of it. Do you know when your last day on earth is? Do you know when your heart will take the last beat? Do you know if you'll make it home today? I pray you will. But we don't have an idea. We don't know what's going to be our ending point, do we? So if that's the case, then shouldn't we live with some urgency in our life? Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. We don't have to be afraid. If you have angst in your spirit, either here or online listening, if there's angst in your spirit, we can take care of this. But you have to do something. You have to invite Jesus in your heart. You have to say, I'm sorry for the life that I've been living. I'm sorry. And I want to be saved. And I want to be saved from the wrath. And more importantly, I want to be saved to be in your presence. Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Bow your heads. Just take some time of personal reflection here a little bit. I'm going to pray in a minute. But I want to give anyone an opportunity here that wants to make sure that your heart is right. To make a declaration between you and God. That you would just say, Father, I need you. I need to be forgiven fresh and new. Yeah, I've asked you to come into my heart maybe before as a younger person or whatever. I don't know. Or maybe the first, this is the first time you've heard a message like this. I don't know. But you can be sure of your relationship with the Lord by asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins. So while all eyes are closed and heads are bowed so that this is not about people, this is about you and about God, if you haven't done that or if you want to do that or if you want to just make sure, just lift your hand. And, and, and when you lift your hand, you're not lifting it to me, you're lifting it to Jesus. And you're saying, Jesus, I want to be sure. I want to be sure that I'm right with you. You see, and if there's some angst in your spirit right now, the devil, the enemy is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But here's the clear identity. If you do this, you're identifying with Christ, not the devil. Who do you want to be identified with? Who do you want to be identified with? 
For me, I want to be identified with Christ. Nothing can embarrass me so much that I would risk. I would risk being ashamed of being identified with Christ. So, Father, I lift my hand right now, and I say, Father, forgive me fresh and new. Forgive me, Father, and cleanse my heart. Lord, I want to know. I want your assurance. I want to be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I want to be expecting your return. I want to be living my life, God, knowing that in any day you could come back or any day I could take my last breath. It doesn't matter. All that matters is my heart is right with you, and that's my desire. And Father, forgive me for the times that I haven't lived that way. Forgive me for the times, Father, that I've been ashamed. Forgive me for the times, Father, that I've I've chased my own passions, my own will over yours. And Lord, I pray that that message, I pray that this is a prayer that many are praying right now. God, I pray for our unsaved loved ones that aren't even here right now. I pray for our children and our friends and our family that maybe have not heard this message, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you go to them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you be the convictor in their hearts. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you make it known to them the urgency of the hour that we all live in because no one will escape. We all will face the judgment day. And God, my prayer is that I want to be with you. I want to be associated with you and you alone. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said with me that prayed that prayer. Everyone said with me, amen. 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 Jackie and Tom, would you pray? Leave us in this little song a little bit. Then I have something else I want to share at the end. days of Right.
Amen. So listen, that day is going to come very fast. It's going to come very quickly. And when it comes, there's going to be a lot of confusion in this world. Imagine what's going to happen when all of a sudden millions of people are gone. All around the world, instantly, gone. Here's a here's a little book. I, I was going to write a book, but I found one better than for me to write. We've been studying Jimmy Evans, and here's a little book I want you to give you. It says, Where Are the Missing People? And this book is designed for you to leave in your house. Because when the, hap- when the rapture happens, people are going to be going through everything they can think of to try to live. I mean, imagine the chaos. So this little book tells people what to do. Because in the tribulation, there is great hope. But there's going to come great pr- at a great price. There'll be a great revival in the tribulation. But those that get saved in the tribulation will probably die. They probably will be martyred or greatly persecuted. But this little book tells people what to do. So I invite you to take, I got 50 or so books in the back. I invite you to take one or two at least. Read it. If you want to order more copies, go to, go to Amazon. You can get these online. But leave these in your house and make them available so that when people come in and say, hey, what do I do now? They find this book along with your Bible. And they can understand what they have to do to prepare themselves. Because here's the deal. What, I, what I'm praying, if I have loved ones that aren't saved, I'm praying that the Lord spares them until the rapture. I know this is bold. This, is, this is, sounds hard. But if they're not going to get saved before the rapture, I pray they get saved in the tribulation. But here's the deal. They're going to die for it. You see, I can get saved today and live a life of jubilation and and, and no fear and of great joy. But in that day, there's going to be a great persecution and great heartache. But I would have them, rather have them go through that and accept Jesus then and be martyred because heaven is a long time. Eternity is a long time. So this is a really important book. Make sure you get one or two, pass them around, order more. And let's just live our hearts right for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just make this so clear and near to our, our hearts, Lord, that we would just have a desire to know you more. Lord, take away angst. Replace it with anxiety. Take it with anticipation. God, as we get our hearts right with you and we live for you appropriately, Father, change us as you would see necessary. And I just give you thanks and I give you praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to pray, I'd be happy to pray with you.